from Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to Music City 911. I'm Brandon Hall. And I'm Rick Beasley, a retired 911 communications officer with 40 years of experience. And I'm sitting next to him with a paltry 20 years of experience. <laughs> but between the two of us, it's 60 years of whopping experience coming at you. Well, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, you know, the first episode we had, it's been out for a little bit over a week now, and here we are on number two. I'm, I'm ready to go with it. And I hear we had some decent feedback as well. Yeah, getting feedback all over. Um, I put the uh, the note out to all our, our brothers and sisters out in the 911 communities, uh, really around the world. Um, so we've got people listening from all over right now. Uh, it's starting to take off for us. I'm, I'm really excited about the whole thing. Glad to hear it, man. Let's go ahead and jump into things. Our lead story is uh, from Music City here uh, at the Department of Emergency Communications, specifically Harriet Wallace over at Fox 17 TV did an initial news story last week uh, highlighting my 911 brothers and sisters, including uh, Brandon Hall here, suffering a shortage of personnel Suffering is a great word to use. The story goes on to say that the Nashville 911 Center is down about 41 positions, including a department director. I don't buy that. Uh, I'm of the belief, personally, that that number is closer to 50. Now, that number came from the SEIU, which is the union that represents the employees at the 911 center, and they got that number from the powers to be at the Department of Emergency Communications. Now, it really makes no difference whether it's 40 or 50, uh, since when you have a loss of that magnitude, uh, you don't have a people leaving problem. You have a severe organizational problem running people off. We'll discuss the problems there in a lot more detail in future podcasts uh, as they need to be addressed while attention is being called to them uh, by the TV station. Uh, I've said before, and I'll say it again here to my brothers and sisters that work over there, uh, I would be more than willing to speak with the mayor personally or his staff about the problems there if I'm contacted by them, and that also applies to speaking with the Fox 17 reporter. However, I will not initiate the action as I'm no longer employed by the organization. Uh, It's up to my brothers and sisters that are still there to kick the ball off, and I promise you I'll help you return it. Uh, You know that I love all of you. Uh, Harriet Wallace will have a full report on Fox 17 News at 5.30 Nashville time on Monday, December the 30th. And to tell you, it's it's not necessarily just a Nashville problem. It's a nationwide problem. Uh, there's a lot of issues that are hitting not, not every agency, but a lot of agencies in every state, municipality, uh, just different government aspects like that. You know, one of the big things uh, is pay. We won't get too much into it. I'll, I'll just start with that one. I believe that uh, pay is a big issue because as our economy grows, and it has been, 
we've been having a lot of private companies are coming in. You could, you can jump right in from a base level and make as much or more than, uh, some of these now one for a lot less stress, a lot less hours. There's a lot that goes into it. And I think that's a, a, a huge problem nationwide, uh, going in the future. It can be, you can be in the middle of a thousand population little town and have, uh, too few dispatchers even for that, or somewhere as big or bigger than Nashville where we're, you know, a, a good percentage down. There are problems that are indicative to Nashville specifically that may not be another 911 center's problems. Uh, there are those problems that uh, are a laundry list of things that apply to all communication centers. Uh, one, as you've just addressed, is pay, uh, long hours, because a lot of these centers are, are short-staffed. Another huge issue is the public safety pension. Uh, your police officers and firefighters, uh, as a general rule, are under one pension plan, and the communications employees at the 911 centers are under another one. And that's been a constant fight trying to equalize that where they all have the same pension. Yeah, and the uh, the nine one one dispatchers right now, if I if I recall correctly, we're we're listed as a, a clerical staff, no more than a a secretary or a you know so, something along that lines. That uh, you know, we just pretty much a telephone operator, and that's all we do. That it's almost the same as if we were just a regular telephone operator only taking and directing calls to other places. And that's just simply not the case when we're out there you know, being the very first people that someone talks to when they have to have CPR or any other type of medical aid needed, police responding to the scene, gathering suspect info. There's a lot more that goes into it than just being a straight operator. Well, the one thing that I found amusing is the government will refer to you as public safety, you know, in the newspaper, through the media, but when it comes time to upping up, uh, upping the ante, and getting you the money on the public safety pension, oh, 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 we're not talking about that now. We're just talking about your public safety when it's convenient <laughs> for us to address you as such. Yeah, that that's some you know real good points about it, and you know just like uh, B said, we're gonna get into some of that later on in some of the other podcasts. This is just something that uh, was popped up in our our own local news feed here uh, about the report. Just like you said, the, the next one's coming up here on Monday, the 30th. It obviously is a concern for our brothers and sisters uh, and yourself, because you're still there at the Department of Emergency Communications, uh, and they're wanting to see how this is dealt with. It is a critical situation for them over there. And while we're on the subject of 911 centers uh, in Tennessee, you can now, video chat on 911 and of all places Rutherford County you know you'd think that the major cities now I realize that Rutherford County Murfreesboro area it's the fifth largest uh, city in the state of Tennessee now but you would figure that that Nashville which is now bigger than Memphis or Memphis or Knoxville would have been one of the big three uh, that would have gotten this already online uh it's obvious that as technology advances 
the 911 centers will eventually catch up to that. Casey Lowry with the sheriff's office described it as having eyes on the scene. She also said that there may be an incident where the dispatcher needs to obtain more information regarding the scene itself, uh, like the scene severity of a fire or an accident. Uh, I'll, st- I'll take it one step further. It could also be a situation where, uh, you know, how people call in, they're distraught, you, you can't get much information out of them. Uh, but they've got that cell phone and they can show the scene of what even may be a murder. Uh, I know when I was up at the center, some of the concern is this technology was starting to come to the forefront, such as texting uh, and and video. You know, a lot of the people up in the communications uh, center didn't want to be police officers. You know, they wanted to do police-type work, which is what we do, but they didn't want to be field people. They didn't want to be subject to seeing some of that stuff that these guys see when they get on the scene. And now that's going to be brought home to them. So, you know, uh, that's a concern. I can also see that uh, it it would help in a a number of ways Um, for us anyway. It's just like any other industry. If you were to have someone to say work at McDonald's, any fast food place like that, they know exactly how to work the fryer. They know how to work the cash register. They know how to do all that stuff. Somebody that has never been in a restaurant like that before, no matter what it is, they got to look at the menu. They don't know what's on it. We know exactly what we need. We know the the info that we need from the get-go. And if, if that person was to, say, have a suspect running away from the scene and they just flash their cell phone over there, we can immediately say, okay, that's a male white. He's got a red shirt on and a, looks like a black hoodie on top of it and tan pants and black shoes. That in a split second, we've got a full suspect description Whereas asking it over the telephone, that could be a minute or more getting that information out to the officers on the way to the scene. Do you think it's going to be an issue when the video chat technology comes to Nashville with our brothers and sisters having to deal with a different aspect of it? I'm sure it's going to add a little bit of extra stress to the call, but I actually to a degree, and I think it'll probably help some too because, as we've said in the previous episode, there's a lot of times we don't really get too much closer from it. We don't exactly know what's happening there on the scene. So something like this, I think, if you, if we were actually to be able to see it, yeah, it's going to be a hard image to see, but you know, a lot of times no different than any movies we see nowadays. It's It, it could be a lot worse, could be not quite as bad, but it, it might actually provide at least a little bit of closure to everyone that's involved in those calls. And to add to the story a little bit, it's not a two-way chat. You know, we'll be able to see you know what they're doing. They're not necessarily going to be able to see what we look like, what we're doing, our center. They won't be able to get that type of information. So it's only a one-way street on that. One of the things that I thought of when I was researching the technology is the use of it when given CPR instructions. Uh, if you can position that telephone where you can see them as they go through the motions um, as to whether or not they're doing it correctly you know that's going to be a big help because you can't you can't see over the telephone right now and you're just having to go by what they're telling you yeah you're having to and and this is something i actually had to give cpr instructions today over the telephone on an overdose call and uh, we'll maybe talk about that here in a little bit but you know the the cpr that you do uh, 
you have to do it a specific way for it to be actually effective. With the chest compressions, you have to find the right spot on the chest. You have to double up your hands. You have to push down hard and fast about twice uh, per second, I believe it is. And uh, from there, you have to have the chest all rise all the way up. And the mouth to mouth, when you're blowing in the breath, you have to see the chest rise with their lungs filling up and then go back down again. So seeing those things makes it a lot easier to know that that's actually being done effectively. And what a lot of people don't understand is there's three different methods depending upon who you're working on. If you're working on a baby, if you're working on a child, or if you're working on an adult, all of those require a different procedure. Uh, Another great thing about this technology is it could also reduce the response times to the scene uh, due to the updated GPS technology that goes along with that uh, video chat. Now, how exactly does it work? Well, it boils down to you calling 911 and the dispatcher will send you a link to where you'll be able to do that. Now, in Nashville, I know that when I was there, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, the texting technology is installed from the tech side, but it's not yet been turned on for use by the public. Yeah, that's the uh, what they call the next gen nine one one. It's it's supposed to be a state standard. It's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. I'm, truth be told, I'm not a big fan of this because we have enough trouble as it is asking someone. Believe it or not, you could have someone who lives in a place and has been there for years and can't off the top of their hair their head tell you what the address is, especially in an emergency situation. Now, you want to amplify that and have somebody typing onto a tiny cell phone with the tiny little letters, and they may say, you, you might get a, a call saying, oh, you know, my sister or brother's been shot. And then you reply back, okay, what's the address? And you never get anything back. So we don't know where these people are. We've been left with uh, being tasked with finding this information out. I mean, we, we don't even have a set of rules yet for that uh, just because it hasn't been enacted. So... Truth be told, I'm not a big fan of the whole text 911. The video chat, though, I think it would be helpful because you've got you've got direct video right there, seeing what it happens. And and in addition to that, the location that you were talking about, that actually might help too. If if somebody was to say, "I'm not sure where I am," and then flip the camera around, you see, okay, well, there's a BP there on that corner, and then there's a Exxon Tiger Mart on that corner, and there's a U-Haul right there. That's Ethan Wedgwood. I know exactly where that is. Well, from a texting standpoint, it makes me wonder if, like TTY, for example, they will have preformed messages that you'll be able to to just in one you know punch send a text, and then of course, ever how long it's going to take them to respond back to you. Um, I feel like you do on it. I'm more into the video chat technology end of it because it seems like it will be simpler although it may cause some issues stress-wise and emotionally up front uh the texting side unless they really have some preformed, you know messages set up in advance you know I, I can see that being a huge mess and I and I know that with any technology you know we may have a beef about it because we've never used it before I just feel better about the video chat end of it. I, I do too. And, you know, in addition to, the, to that with the the text part of it, 
the part that I have a problem with, you know, like I said, just getting back into the whole going back and forth. Can you imagine if you're involved in a fight with anyone, you're in a physical altercation with someone and you decide it's not very safe for me to call, but I'm going to try to text in the middle of getting my head beat in or something like that. And I'm going to try to bring my cell phone out and I'm going to have a conversation back and forth texting and do this accurately while all this is going on. I just don't see that's going to be very helpful to us at all. Well, I'm definitely interested in seeing how this works for uh, Rutherford County and and best of luck to them in uh, getting this technology out there and we'll see how it works. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm wanting to hear it and then I might try to make a visit over to their center at one point and take a look at the technology ourselves and see what it looks like. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on from there uh, to some audio we have here in front of us. This is going to be a dispatch uh, portion. This is not going to be a call taker end of it. We kind of spoke a little bit the last episode about uh, how hectic the dispatch on the radio side of it can be. To me, it can actually be even more hectic than uh, anything we have on the the actual callers uh, when they call in. You can almost always put a caller on hold. You can ask them to hold on. On the police side, you can't necessarily always do that. So this call that we have here, it is a call out of uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it's a shots fired involving police officers. And this is from July 17th, 2016. And uh, this is another hard call to listen to. It's it's not the easiest thing. We're going to say uh, listener discretion advised on this one as well. If you wanted to skip through, it's going to run about six minutes. So if you want to fast forward about six minutes from now, that's fine. I prefer you listen to it just so you can see how it progresses from a normal radio traffic type day to shots fired in, in really just a few seconds and then goes hectic from there. So we'll go from there. Roll tape. Oh, yes, sir. Area of Boulevard Department told him, have a 911 hang up at least to sell. Nothing hurt. Or 38. I'm through, 11, go ahead. Can you send me a couple units to be quick on Airline and Old Hammond? That's what I'll be back. Just to be advised, I'll be out of the city at the Peak Quick on the Airline Highway, across from Hammond Air Mall. Supposedly a lady came up and said there was a subject walking with a coat and a assault rifle out here behind the store. Be out with two city units uh, behind the hair salon, just uh, right next door to the Peak Quick. Order, shot fired, officer down, shot fired, officer down. Got a city officer down, shot fired, shot fired on the airline. Sniper. Hey, we need the Bearcat. We need the Bearcat. 
subject is supposed to be at Benny's car wash, still shooting. I'm hit. I'm uh, in front of the, on the side of the old Floyd Browns by the car wash. Right next to be quick, right next. I'm going to try to get one of them to see what they need from us. You understand that being advised that um, we've been advised that the subject may be still shooting. Being advised that you, they may still be shooting. Um, you know, it's being advised. Officer down on the who's radio is good, but officer down. All units be advised, shots are still being fired. I'm the one direct. I'm pulling up with about six troopers. Ten four. Men on north, men on south, and north. Be advised, they're still shooting G501. It's in between the B quick and the fitness expo on airline. Any perimeter? Tahoe, south side, fitness, whatever, and come to us. Two, three, three, break, break. I need a EMS. Cut him three. Cut him three. Uh, south side of the pickup supply. We got an officer down. He's right there, Mark. Right there. Officer down. Two, two down back here. Two down. He's supposed to be behind a fitness and health exercise home in concept. Y'all got some matters. Got some matters there. They can follow with him. EMS. Hey, you two's already around to the hospital. I'll be trailing them, all right? Provide you following them. That's it for EMS is working on right now. I'm also down behind the rear of that paint building. I'm behind the hair crown. Got one down. Mike Walker, is the code for EMS to come to the scene, or do we need to bring you off the south? I'm transport off south. If you can transport them out there, they're not trouble. Get them there. Too late, too. Unit 
this one was rough to listen to, and if you were the dispatcher involved in it, uh, it was definitely rough to listen to. Um, she inherited a war zone, and things went from zero to 100 really quick, and you never know when that's going to happen. Um, I've had an officer shot on a radio. It was early on in my career. Uh, the good thing that came from that was he lived. He was shot in the uh, lung. And Actress Catherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com slash MC911 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BadlandsRanch.com slash MC911 today. We became really great friends. We're friends for decades, and he died uh, just some time back of uh, natural causes. One of the things that come to mind here when you deal with a call like that, and in addition to that, we've all had uh, calls of officer needs assistance that didn't quite reach that echelon, but at the time that it goes out, you don't know that it's not going to. And the thing that has always worked for me is maintaining a calm voice and setting the tone. You know, there's a lot of them. There's one of you. You know, they're out there to assist at the scene that mess that's going on. But they're coming to you for help. So it's up to you to set the tone. Because if you start screaming and hollering and losing it, then they're going to lose it. And you can't have that happen. The second thing of major importance is they're hollering for help. I mean, they're out there being fired on, and if I was out there, I'd be doing the same thing. But it's also important for you to maintain composure enough to find out where that help is needed. Because if you if you keep sending them out there, and that's not something they're thinking about at the scene because they're having to deal with what they're having to deal with, are you going to send more officers to their deaths or more to be shot? And if you set up a staging area, where do you want me to send these cars to keep them safe until you can get what you need to you? I mean, everything has to be, has to be done in an order. And it's amazing how much of that training that's pounded into you when you go into your dispatch training that you'll retain when something like that actually goes down. I mean, you'll see that a lot of that is just like clockwork. It comes back to you as you need it 
something that would never happen during normal circumstances. No. And you know, just like you said, you know, kind of orchestrating from behind the scene, there was a lot going on in this call. Um, I've, I've kind of rolled out a timeline here just to show you how quick it goes in the call. It starts out kind of normal radio traffic. It seems like, uh, I believe either the dispatcher or one of the officers is advising of a 911 hang up call that they had. And then at 30 seconds into it, they had a, uh, an officer that rolled up on somebody that was reporting to them, a person with a weapon. 15 seconds after that, they start getting shots fired, you know, had an officer down right there with it. Uh, and into about a minute and 20 in, you could actually hear some shots going off in the background. Two minutes in, you had an officer declaring on the, on the radio that he's hit. It's one thing to have, you know, them say shots fired, your blood pressure goes up hearing that to hear you got officers down. It goes up a notch past that. If you get to the point where you hear an officer that has been shot and he's the one saying I'm hit, there's not too much that can, that can peak your blood pressure anywhere past that. And it just keeps going. They're still shooting. And there's a lot of things going on that was not actually on this call at all here. When this was all happening, I can guarantee you what was going on was other officer, or other communications officers, they're all jumping into it. Supervisors are jumping in to help. They're trying to organize the EMS units to come out there at the scene. And that was another thing. Uh, around uh, 310, they said that there was a EMS needed code three out there for multiple officers down. And at 404, they had to uh, take their own officers out with their police vehicles uh, with their armored police vehicle, things like that, because it still wasn't a safe scene for the, the paramedics to come in. They're not going to come into the middle of a firefight like that and uh, put themselves in, in the line of danger for you know picking up an officer or anyone, for that matter. They have to have a secure scene before they can even come in. They have no means of defending themselves. They can't go into a place like that. So you know the, the paramedics, they have to wait off scene on the staging site, just like you were saying, Bees and then wait for the okay for the officers or have the, the officers bring victims out themselves and triage there at the scene and then roll them out to the hospital. So it, it's it's hectic from the top down. There's no doubt that if, if I was sitting there working this radio when this happened, that I, my blo- blood pressure would be completely boiling at that point. It, it would be just completely almost over for me. You, you keep it going. I've, I've worked a, a couple active shooters on the radio, on the fire, and the, the uh, police side. It's a different type of call on each. It's handled differently, but there's there's no difference in the way that you feel while you're out there working it. You start to feel the blood pressure creep up, but you just like you said, you try to keep calm, keep it level-headed the whole time that you're there on the radio. If you don't, it's going to amp up everybody out there on the scene. If you start yelling on the radio, it's going to make everybody else out there just that much more nervous about what's going on. And just the way that... The police handled it from the way the fire department and EMS handles it is totally different. Uh, As you said earlier, in an active shooter situation, the police are going straight in. They're going to engage the shooter at, 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 at whatever point they see him. Medcom, on the other hand, is going to be standing out there until that scene is safe. And the people that are hit, you know, if it was a shooting, are going to be in different stages of injury. You know, it could be a, you know, a a ricochet shot, you know, that just, you know, scratched the surface. And it could be a situation where, 
you know, they're dead and everywhere in between. But the important thing here is while they're laying there, if they're not yet gone, time's clicking because EMS can't come in there to deal with them until that scene is safe. Yeah, and uh, it's going on the whole EMS portion of it again. On this call, uh, to give a little bit of background, because there is a lot of information out on the, the Internet about this, a lot of uh, details about the call, just to kind of brush the surface of what happened. We had uh, three police officers that were killed during this one and three more that were wounded. One of them was critically wounded. Uh, the suspect, uh, he was shot and killed by the police. Well, and, you know, we both were shown the picture of the suspect, and, and I can assure you, uh, he doesn't look as good now after all that burning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I don't think he's in a good place at all from doing something like that. You kill, go out and kill police officers trying to shoot them for whatever reason. We're not going to get into the politics of his uh, reasoning for shooting or anything like that. But, uh, you know, yeah, rest assured, he's he's not in a good place right now. I, you know, pieces of shit like this, uh, they've got a special place. The, the thing that's uh, uh, another important note is the teamwork because what starts out as one dispatcher involved in this becomes several people. You know, you've got, at least with our departments, you've got the police dispatcher, you've got the fire EMS dispatcher, and then you've also got people that's coming up there to help you to, to get the descriptions laid out because a lot of times it does take more, than just the dispatchers that's dealing with the police and fire end of it. You need your other team members to come up there, help you put this together because it's just, it, it's just too much. Yeah. And uh, just like you were saying on that too, it, it's a, it's kind of a top down effort, even in the communications field, because when we start doing it, we'll have our own police dispatchers. They're jumping in even on different airs. If you, if you've got one air probably working this, You've got the auxiliary units that are coming to the scene, the SWAT, the uh, any type of negotiators, if they have them. This one, they might not have had it. Any type of supervisors that are coming to the scene, some of the off-duty uh, officers that may have heard it go out on the radio, they're also responding off-duty off or plainclothes detectives. Anybody like that, they're, they're jumping on the scene. They're coming from different radios. The uh, fire dispatchers that are sending out the EMS and fire units to the scene, supervisors who are trying to monitor what's going on and fielding calls at the moment from, you know, the, the media people like that. And even up to our, our director, generally like something like that, they're coming in to just make sure that the operation is running good as a whole from the top down. And I mean, I can't recall out of any of the incidents like the, that we've had like this in Nashville anyway, that we've had any major problems, uh, you know, on the radio end, when we actually had everything going, everything was pretty much a smooth operation from there. It's like driving down the road in a car on an icy road. Uh, everything's going okay. And all of a sudden you hit a, a patchy piece of ice and now you're all over the road. And it's a matter of trying to get everything back in control again, because you're just not built for that initially. But then once you get the car straightened back out and you start to feel your blood pressure come back down again, that's the best correlation that I can use in describing something like this because once the initial hit happens, 
and it's rough, then everything after it's evolved starts to calm down some when you've got other people there to help you that understand what's at stake here, uh, and it makes it a whole lot easier to manage. And for you laymen out there listening that's not in the communications field, say, for example, this uh, happens in the eastern side of Nashville. Okay, just using that as an example. Of course, the calls are still coming in uh, where citizens need the police or, or the fire department. These calls, once they've reached that nature, are put on a command channel. So it's an auxiliary channel. So everybody moves over there. You still take care of your business, but you still have your east radio back again, and you can go ahead and put out the calls that that deal with that particular region of the of the uh, county. Yeah, just because there are shots fired, you know, at an officer, that doesn't mean that crime stops everywhere in the county. It just doesn't happen. You still have your car break-ins. You still have your domestic situations. You still have the you know, fender bender wrecks, anything normal like that, they still happen and you still have to have officers go out there. Now, you know, there, there might be a, a delay because of the amount of officers that would show up to a scene like this, especially if it's a continuing scene. Uh, there's a lot of investigation have to be done with it. So there may be a delay on re, uh, responding to some of those other calls, but we do get to them. It just might take us a little bit longer to do it. Right. And just because you've got a shots fired call or a man with a weapon, uh, a lot of times those are just run-of-the-mill stuff for us. Now, of course, shots fired, as you said, that kind of kicks it up a notch, no doubt. But that doesn't require us to necessarily go over to a command channel and take you know the whole, the whole situation to another channel. A lot of that is able to be handled on the main channel. It's just when that starts to escalate, and now you've got the individual still, still firing shots, you don't know where he is, now you've got to you know, coordinate some kind of a perimeter to find him, then is when you start moving those over to a command channel because it's going to take uh, it's going to take away from your normal everyday activity that you're trying to get out on the normal channel. Yeah, and, and, and past that, you can actually, and it's happened more than a few times on radios I've worked, where you actually start borrowing units from other sectors uh, or precincts to try to get them to come and help out with the, the regular calls we have. We You might sit there and have calls backed up and, they could still be a priority, but we, you know, generally if you have all the units from the one sector there, they're going to be trying to help out immediately because they're the closest to the, the hot call there. Then they're all going to want to go over and try to help. You start borrowing units for other sectors to go and handle these domestics or, you know, general fights or even uh, shots fired by themselves. If there's something else not related to that, I mean, it could be just about anything. Right. Even though you're assigned to a given area, whether it's East Nashville, West Nashville, whatever precinct you're assigned to, uh, that's not your coverage area. Your coverage area is what your patch says, and that's Metropolitan Davidson County. And there has been situations where we've went out of county to assist other police, uh, police agencies that are of a smaller nature, and they don't have the police to handle something of that, of that significance. Then, you know, the highway patrol, which is the next law enforcement uh, agency up, that will come to the scene in those counties and then they'll pull from adjacent counties, just whatever it takes to get the job done. And that's, that's the way we operate here. Yeah. It's, it's always a nonstop operation 24 seven. It never stops. Uh, we never stop. There's always people on duty. We always have somebody there to answer the phone, to be on the radio. 
and uh, we'll just we'll stop at nothing to get the job done. I mean, that's that's just the way that we are. And that's the key to it. We're going to get the job done no matter what it takes. And just like last week uh, where we said we didn't want to leave you all on a down note, uh, we, we figured we'd pick up and tell you a couple little stories uh, and kick it back to kind of our old school, the way things used to be done and uh, the way that we used to have fun up at work. And Beasley, he was just telling me a little bit about a story. You want to you tell our audience here? Yeah, back in my earlier days uh, in dispatch, we had a old school uh, dispatcher that he was the one that I told you guys about last week that was on the radio and the officer ended up running his tag on the radio and it turned out that his wife, you know, had died on the side of the interstate. But he was one of the funniest guys in the world. I mean, he could have worked any stage at any comedy club and had you in the floor. I mean, it was just it it was just hysterical being around this guy. And we called him Cuz. Everybody called him Cuz. He would call the record companies, you know, needing a record for a wreck. And he'd say, uh, uh, this is Cuz from your Metropolitan Police Department. <laughs> and, of course, everybody loved him, you know, because he was – you know, he, he was on, he was almost animated, the kind of guy that he was. Well, anyway, we both were sitting at the two front complaint desk back in the day. And I was sitting there doing whatever I was doing, probably nothing, if you know, considering it's me. And, <laughs> and what caught my attention with him was I heard him say, Honey, do you have a cornbread skillet? And I thought, uh-oh. And I looked over at him. He said, I tell you what you do. And he was all red in the face. He said, he's got to go to sleep, honey. You go in there when he does, and you kadong him right upside the damn head. And I'll assure you, he'll never hit you again. He never took any call where he was going to be sending the police out there. Just told her that, ended the conversation, and hung up. (laughs) I was just sitting there with my mouth wide open, my eyes big, and I looked at him and I said, And if she does, you will never get out of the penitentiary. And he says, well, that just makes me madder than hell. I mean, he was real country. He said, that man beat that little child and beat her up, and this is a way she can get back to him. I said, you can't do that. I said, because when she kills him, and it will, then she's going to call the police that he's dead, and then they're going to send the police out there. And then she's going to tell the police that Mr. So-and-so told me to kadong him right upside the damn head. And then is when you're going to the penitentiary and you're never going to get out. But with him, and we'll be doing stories, you know, from week to week about him from time to time. He was, he was just hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Just sitting there thinking about it, it kind of brings back some memories. Granted, I wasn't there quite as uh, long back then as uh, Beasley was, but some of the things we always did on the floor uh, with our other employees, 
everybody up at work knows me. I'm, I'm a big practical jokester. I love doing stuff like that. And, uh, you know, as, as far as one of the, the people that we used to prank each other back and forth, it was, it was always a back and forth for, with us. Uh, Patty, if you're out there, you know, uh, who I'm talking about. She's the world's biggest Elvis fan. So much so that she had uh, Elvis ringtones on her cell phone. And this was a while back. It was still one of those old flip phones. And, uh, what I would do is I would steal her telephone from her every once in a while and then hide it from her and then call it from, you know, one of her phones, whatever like that, just to have it ring. And she'd have to go off looking for it, kind of a hide and seek type thing with Elvis playing in the background. So you got the King playing there where everybody can hear. And she's just rushing, trying to find it and turn it off as quick as she can. And there's all kinds of stuff that I'd done with it. Uh, one of the times I'd, uh, sent it through inner office mail to her and she got it back about, I don't know, two or three hours later. One of the times I got some fish in line and I actually tied it to the uh, light fixture above her head. So it was actually sitting about a foot and a half, two feet above her head, just playing the king left and right <laughs> like that. And she's looking all over the place, trying to look in her purse and underneath the desk. And she knew at that point that I'd hit it somewhere, but she never thought to look directly above her head. So we always had a little bit of fun that way. It's, it's, uh, it's changed now because we're so busy, but there's still some times that, especially on the weekends, where it's slow enough where, you know, stuff like that can happen. And it's it's still a fun place to work just because of the other employees. You were talking about Patty when she had her when she had her uh, retirement. We gathered in the conference room. They had sent me over. I think it was a day or two earlier at the uh, costume place. Yeah, over on Thompson Lane, mm-hmm. and they rented me an Elvis costume. I mean, with, with <laughs> yeah. the hair and everything. Mm-hmm. And I went into the conference room. That's where we held everybody's uh, retirement parties. And that's where they still do it. And I went in there, and they put a CD on. I rolled out two uh, Elvis Presley songs for her. <laughs> oh, it was, it was hysterical. But you're right, man, a huge King fan. Matter of fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, she had an Elvis plate, I think, on the front of her car. Yeah, she actually, from what she told me one time, she had an Elvis room in her house just for all her memorabilia. <laughs> she made it a, a point to make it to a trip down to Graceland at least twice per year. Uh, just really the biggest Elvis fan that I've ever known. Can you even imagine talking about, you know, cuz doing that today? Oh, there's, there's no chance. Yeah, they, uh, you wouldn't have a job. You would be fired before you knew it and probably be brought up on charges just for even suggesting something like that to even happen. <laughs> so. It was, man, it was something else back in the day. And I'm, and I'm sure that, you know, at some uh, agencies, they still are able to have some fun. And, you know, like you said, being a practical joker, you can still get away with some stuff, but some of that, oh man, I mean, you'd be, you're exactly right. You would be done. It's always in between calls. We, when the calls come in, yeah, you can listen, and uh, we'll have some calls for you from local here in Nashville. As soon as the call comes in, as soon as the radio transmission hits us, we're business. We're we're nothing but business. Uh, we have to have a little bit of downtime to try to keep ourselves sane. Any other dispatchers out there, you'll know what we're talking about. It can get so overwhelming really quick that you don't know what's happening. You have to have some sort of a levity up there at work to where it'll make it to where you actually want to come back the next day. 
something you can relive in your mind saying all these things like these old times that we had. And we've got dozens and dozens of stories just like this that, that make the job worthwhile um, on top of being able to just help people. It's the, you know, like we said before, brothers and sisters and dispatch. That's that's true. We know how it feels. We've done it for so long. We know exactly how it is. And it's it's something that you just you live with. You have to know how to kind of put everything in different compartments of your soul uh, and your brain, anything you can think of like that, just to keep it going. You're right. And, you know, it seems like living in the South, when good things do happen and funny stuff happens, the funniest stuff is right here. It's like when a tornado <laughs> rolls through somewhere. It's like the uh, news director at the TV station says, <laughs> I want you to go out and find the biggest dumbass to interview. I mean, they, <laughs> they never interview anyone that's wearing a dress shirt with the monogram pocket. No. <laughs> never. It's no. always. That dude's got a pocket square. Avoid him. He we don't need to talk with him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's never the sophisticated guy that says, you know, I was really tore up about this thing. <laughs> never. Yeah, they always have to go out and get the the most backwood redneck you can that, you know, yeah, that's that's what happened. You see that there? That's where I live. That's my trailer, and that's my car inside my trailer. And there might be one set of teeth between the whole trailer park. <laughs> That's incredible. It's it's always like that. So, yeah, we have to keep it live like that. It's just the way it is in, in the business. But we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here, I believe, for tonight. Uh, we're going to come back at you again. We're going to try to make this a, a weekly thing. Uh, we're having a good time doing this. I'm having a blast doing this. I don't know about you, Beast. It is. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, for Music City 911, I'm Rick Beasley. And I'm Brandon Hall. We'll see you all next week. Take care, guys. <laughs>